actually brought full circle um, military training, uh, me as an athlete, the, the coaching search that I've been on. Um, and so with the performance mindset piece, you always hear what percentage of your sports are mental. And the number's high. It's above 50%. Yet when you ask athletes, you ask parents, you ask other coaches, what are you doing to train that performance piece, that mindset piece? Um, it's a shrug. It's a, I write goals. It's a affirmations. And what I'm, what I'm doing is bringing everything full circle. You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. My name is Dennis Miralda, your host, joined as always by my younger brother and now uh, audiovisual technician and expert, Anthony Miralda. What's up, bro? So my way, I'm going to do this one. Can I put that on my resume? You can't. What does your resume consist of now? Can we can we go through your resume and talk about oh, all the things you've done besides geez. Um, male escort for older men who are looking for a, uh, a right, warm mostly. body? And yeah, a, I was. Uh, what is it called when somebody goes just on vacations with with like a prostitute? <laughs> no, well, I don't actually. There's no like physical. I mean, there can be, but that's extra. But I'm just the one that's like their that? little. Absolutely. So, uh, what are your boundaries then? If if you were one, I want to know, mm-hmm. who, like, what are your boundaries, um, and then what's your price range? Like, what do you? Oh, jeez. All right. So let me say. So yeah. it, there's a woman in her mid fifties. Okay. Um, you know, she looks all right. You know, she's, but you could tell. You know, she was a smoker for years. And right. She's got a little raspy voice. Yeah. She's had a couple and, miles hey, on the Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> oh you're God. Good. That's way worse than. <laughs> all right. So. Okay. She asked you to go to, you know. So I just have to be like her little you're side her piece. Candy. Her you're going to yeah. wear a Speedo on the beach. Okay. So I have outfits now, so that's included. So she picks out my outfits. Yes. Is she purchasing these for me? I don't she, have to. You, you I basically don't have to, don't have to bring anything. anything. You don't have to bring anything. There, you'll be, you'll uh, escort her to some event. Okay. So um, it's like where a big she will thing be noti- she... noticed. So she's getting. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's even, I feel like that works in my favor. Like I wouldn't charge, that would take a little bit off the okay. price because now I'm kind of. So it's three days, two nights. Three days. Two, where am I at? Uh, tropical Island somewhere you pick. You're in, you're in okay. the Bahamas. I want to be in Aruba. Aruba. You're in Aruba. Okay. And she has me for three, three nights. Days, three three days, days, two nights. Two nights. Okay. Oh, geez. Oh man, I feel like I'm gonna sell myself short. What is my body worth? <laughs> I'd probably say. And your soul. I mean, more than anything, your soul. Ah, what is, ah It's fine. And there's no fit. We're not getting physical at all. That's not part of the contract. But okay, you know, but it's we can if things get a little. You know, it's happening. I know. Get a couple drinks in me, and I'm all jacked up because she got an award. Um, I'd probably put it at like two grand. All right. I think that's pretty good. I would and say then do I get to keep the outfits that she buys? I think me? so. I think that's okay. part of it. I think yeah. that's pretty good, right? Listen, I, it's, I think that's a good starting point. I don't think there's a reason not to do that. I mean, if you have a significant other, maybe you'd run into some issues. But if they get what it is, you know, and then, you know, whatever, I yeah. get it. All right. I'm, I was just interested. <laughs> she uh, touches my leg a little bit. It's not like any. There's no clothes that come off, but you know, we snuggle. It's not part it. of the contract. That's right. what I'll say. It's not part yeah. of the contract. I guess I have add-ons as it goes. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's like a Chinese menu. <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> you want the uh, 
the Mugu guy pin, and you want the inner leg touching as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like, okay, so that's going to be an extra 300. So we're looking at about, you know. <laughs> 2750 <Yeah>. total. <laughs> it's a whole trip. Because you have me bending down in front of you every morning. Right, now i got to do a little dance before we go to bed. So quick um, thing, we, we had a couple... Uh, responses on instagram about feedback to our podcast a couple oh um not, not a, like a kind of like a q a thing so just two listeners have uh, questions to ask us the first one was to me um and it was dennis uh what's up with the audio it sounds like a big hairy sweaty man is sitting on your face at times mm. during the intro um that only happened once yeah, uh, that, with the man on my face. Other than that, it was it was the mic. I think that tweaked the mic after it actually yeah. happened originally. But well, thank you for the uh, for the comment. We really appreciate. Yep. We always appreciate our listeners having something to say. And yeah. um, we are we've hopefully uh, alleviated that problem mm. um, with the mic. But there were a couple episodes that we interviewed where trying to look up it was like that yeah i know i got a couple comments that said it sounds like you're trapped inside of a microphone right i'm inside of it you're in the microphone trying to get (laughs) (laughs) and a question for you um is it true about the third nipple (laughs) uh uh, yes yeah i i got it removed though okay so i had it and so it's just people a, started asking questions when I would go on long runs, and there was three things that were bleeding on my shirt. circles on your shirt. Now it's a small percentage. So I don't have to tape. I don't have to use three Band-Aids now. I just I got the other one removed. It was a long process, um, painful. And but. it improved your performance. Absolutely. Good yeah. segue into our guest here, who is a performance mindset coach and lifted level two coach. We have Clint Lockoff on the show. Clint, welcome to the Building Med Podcast. Hey guys, thanks. I got a question about that third nipple. I mean, are we going like total recall, like totally symmetrical, or, or was it like... Oh, like the three? Oh my God, yeah. Makes you wish you had three hands. Yeah. No, this is. It was. Uh, it was under my my left armpit. So weird spot. I actually am curious about that. Is there? Where's the spot of the third? Like people who have third nipples. Serious question. Where is it usually located? Is it certain spots that this usually happens? I don't know if you know anything about this because I don't know. I know there was a kid in high school that I knew that had three nipples, and the one was on like his stomach, and it was a nipple. Really? Yeah. What's your uh, expertise in uh, extra nipple placement? Clint? <laughs> this is it. It's uh, it was before the podcast zero, and now I'm at a, a one to two percent. I would say. <laughs> All right. But that's more than most people, I think. So. <laughs> so- so with um, I introduce you as a performance mindset coach. Take us back a little bit into um, your origin story. How did you? Where did you start off? Were you, did you always know you wanted to work in this space um, within lifted? A lot of it is around the language that we're using when we're speaking to ourselves, um, especially performance. And I, I I can't wait to talk to you about the performance mindset because we're such a student. We were both athletes growing up in high school and then in college and so much of what we how we perform is based on the stories that we're telling ourselves positive and t- positively and negatively so tell us a little bit about how you got to that point where that's what you're doing right now um as an athlete in high school i did it a hundred percent wrong um tennis player um serving volleyer and i was going on four mile runs every morning uh, my coaches didn't know what i was doing um and i felt slow as hell um it was after the Marine Corps that I realized uh, that I had done it wrong and went on this quest to be the best coach I could be. And luckily, I found and lifted. 
And it was one of the things that, you know, actually brought full circle, um, military training, uh, me as an athlete, the, the coaching search that I've been on. Um, and so with the performance mindset piece, you always hear what percentage of your sports are mental and the number's high. It's about 50%. Yet when you ask athletes, you ask parents, you ask other coaches, what are you doing to train that performance piece, that mindset piece? Um, it's a shrug. It's a, I write goals. It's a affirmations. And what I'm, what I'm doing is bringing everything full circle. So, uh, with athletes that, so the way story work folds into the mindset piece is if an athlete chokes, that becomes a story in their mind that as they're in that situation, um, in the future, it's, it's happening again. And so people lock up the pucker factor increases and it creates this self self-fulfilling prophecy. And so what I'm working on is creating a series. Well, the series is created running athletes through a series, um, of story work sessions and it addresses their stories, the roles in their life, parents, other coaches, um, creates power phrases because mantras sound a little woo woo for teenagers, um, or parents. So, so power phrases where, um, if you can deal with the anxiety in a basketball game, in a football game, in a tennis match, then that same anxiety you can deal with taking a test. You know, so um, that's the uh, the performance mindset piece. And yeah, I'm I'm interested in the that the power phrase piece of it. I hadn't heard that term before. And I'll take you back. So I'm a um, I'll take you back to my high school experience. My sophomore year, I kind of burst onto the scene in, in high school. My first ever at bat in high school, I hit a grand slam. So it was, it was, and I, it's funny. Um, my father said, "Well, there's no way, nowhere to go but down from here." Then, like, that's just, thanks, pops. Big, big pep talk. But I, <laughs> I made like all county second team as a sophomore. I, my uh, primary sport was a as a pitcher, and I did really, really well. And I, you know, I was a tall, lanky righty. I, you know, I had like five different pitches. I was pretty accurate. Um, but for some reason, my junior year was it coincided with me, you know, um, getting laid more often. And then also finding alcohol. I think that definitely uh, was part of it's the a, equation. A performance dehancer. Yeah, exactly. A couple <laughs> dehancers, um, um, de-optimizers. But my junior year, I still did well on the hill. I could still, you know, I, I was pitching was was fine. Once there was a ball that was hit to me on the ground, or there was a bunt, I the story that I told myself, I couldn't get the ball to first base. I don't even know if you knew this story. Like, ground ball to me, I would catch it. I'd all the time in the world, I'd turn and sail the ball 40 feet over the first baseman's head. Or, like, I would try to rush it and I'd throw the ball in the dirt and it became a thing. Like, I would almost avoid situations where if there was a bunt, I'd let the third baseman get it because I knew if I grabbed it, I was going to throw it away. And it became, like, this self-fulfilling prophecy. Every time that there was a ball on the ground... I was nervous. I was afraid to pick off a guy at first base. Meanwhile, I was throwing a ball on the inside corner, you know, at 85 miles an hour, wherever I wanted to put it. But as soon as the ball was hit on the ground to me or something, I couldn't do it anymore. And it's funny. It was it was cathartic just to talk about that. I haven't talked about that in 
30 years, I don't think. So now you're you're working with me, and I'm, I need to come up with some kind of power phrase. Or how would you help me through that situation? I'm like a total basket case now, and I come to you for cool. help. What's, what's the, uh, the first time you remember feeling that way? The first time you overthrew or you didn't get the ball to first base? First time I remember, um, it would have been in my junior you a, year. You got an instance? Yeah, I do. I got it. So, so title it. What would the title of that instance be? Um, I would title it um, E1. Cool. Uh, what's the worst time? The, the biggest choke? Uh, it would have been in the county semifinal game. I was cool. basically, you got an incident. Yeah, What's yeah. it called? Uh, oh, man. Th- th- that was like the worst of the worst. That would have been, you know, the worst of the worst. Worst of the worst. Are there any other big times that popped up in your mind? Um, those, were, those are the two. I could, I'm sure I could probably... Uh, figure out a couple more those are the two that really stick out I, I remember the first time sailing the ball over the first baseman's head and then i remember the, the 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 worst of the worst time where it was a um a tournament game uh county tournament we were in the semifinals cool so as you were like thinking of those times what did you what did you notice what did you feel i felt um guilt I felt like helplessness. I felt um, that I let my team down, that I let my school down by my lack of performance in those situations. And then where do you feel it in your body? Tension, heat, color? Uh, I feel uh, like a, like almost like a numbness. I feel in my tightness in my chest. The color? It's like a, um, it's like a baseball field color. You know, like the, the, the dirt of the baseball field. That's the color that I'm seeing. So, so that's the exactly how it would start. If there was a, if there was a situation, that's how the coaching would start. You have two instances titled out. Um, you would write those out. And so however long it would take. So you'd write out E1, you'd write out worst of the worst. And I'd sit here and chill till you're done writing. You would read through it. We'd repeat that same process. Hey, how does it feel now? You know, what was the color? Is there a difference in how it feels? We'd slow it down. Um, so you would, you would read those same stories at 70% speed. And then I'd ask if something else comes up. And one of the cool things about slowing it down is more stuff's going to come up. It creates space. Um, the other cool thing about writing the story down is that, like, missing the first baseman, that choke, that letting your team down, that's feeling this, it's a loop in your head. And by writing these stories down, all it does is break the loop. And so now you've got a start, you've got an end, you've got a story. The final piece is adding breath. And so by just breaking the, the story down, everywhere there's punctuation, adding a deep breath, um, it changes the energy of the story. And then what I do with athletes is like, so the next time, how do you want to show up in that moment? Like, what does, what does it look like the next time? You know, and then um, it'll be a conversation back and forth, and we'll come up with, with a couple of, you know, a couple of phrases, and, and one will usually resonate more than the others. And so um, depending on how many stories, depending on how much you write, um, you know, that process can take five minutes. That process can take 30, 45 minutes. And one of those phrases, they become the power phrase then? That's what I'm looking for? Is that power phrase? That's, that's the power phrase. So um, I was actually working with a 12-year-old soccer player, 
she was preparing for tryouts. And um, the year before, she got knocked down. Um, she was playing defense and then got up slow. And she looked and saw her dad, she, like, kind of looked down. She she looked and saw the uh, the coach turn and look the other way. So this idea of not being tough, of being knocked down, was stuck in her head. And so um, her dad, very supportive. He and I have had conversations back and forth. He's like, hey, this year in tryouts, you're just going to repeat to yourself, I'm a badass, I'm a badass, I'm a badass. Because he bought into the power phrase thing. Um, I sat there and I talked with her, and she wouldn't say it. She wouldn't say, I'm a badass. I'm like, well, why not? And she goes, because it's a bad word. <laughs> All right, okay. So she doesn't want to call herself a bad word. So so we talked about, we, we wrote out the, the story, and hers was four lines. Um, and, like, I get up quick. Okay? And so someone who gets up quick, what, what, what are they? Um, and, you know, she came up with uh, resilient. Um, I led her towards tough. Um, she liked resilient better than tough. So I was like, hey, I'm, I'm resilient. Like, resilient people. And then she wrote out, like, what resilient people do. You know, like, they get up fast. You know, they, you know, they're tough. They hustle for everything. And so, and so this idea of it's her phrase, her meaning, because, you know, I'm a badass from her dad is tied to being resilient. And so she was willing to write, I'm a badass under resilient, yeah. but not willing to say it. So... That's, you know, and those, and those phrases are incredibly powerful and connected to like you and personal, incredibly personal. That story resonated with me as well. And even I go through my story, I remember sailing the ball over the first baseman's head and looking at my old man and just a look of disgust on his face of what just happened and and our situation was if you made a mistake and you know especially in a, you know a situation where a mistake cost your team the game there wasn't a whole lot of com it was an either negative talk like you know screaming on the way home or i'm going to totally avoid you for the next week until you prove to me that you can throw that damn ball to first base so while while you were saying that it, again i going back to that story i'm wondering how much work that you're doing, you know, the, the kids are telling themselves or the, the clients that you're working with are telling themselves this story in their heads. How much of it is also a tied to deeper trauma? Um, uh, you know, a family member like, you know, the, the dad who's trying to live vicariously through the kid. And if so, how do you work with that? Because now you have another layer that you have to peel back. So um, the end product is a, a one-page document where all the coaches – that they're working with are listed the parents roles that the kid defines and the parents agree to, you know, and then the, the player's goals. So the parents know this going in It's like, Hey, you know, by our third or fourth call, um, they're going to tell you, they're going to ask you how they want you to be during games, during practices, during the car ride home. Like this is, this is coming. And if I get resistance from parents, um, I go, you realize over, let's say, let's, let's say your kid gets the college scholarship. Let's say they're a 10 year, like pro they're an NFL veteran, 10 years down the road, they're going to have a last game and they're going to still have 50, 80 years of their life left. How do you want to be remembered? Yeah. So, so how do you want to be remembered after their last competition? That gets a lot of the parents that are on the fence to, to buy as like, okay. 
Um, the other piece is if your kid doesn't want you to watch them play their games, do you think they're going to let you watch their their kids? Do you want to be part of your grandkids' lives? And so, so those connections, um, as the deeper stuff comes up, if the story, the story work process, the four step, Thailand, writing it out, treatment, um, like doesn't create some sort of resolution, then we bring the parents in, like automatically. Hey, this is this is beyond my scope of work. Um, this is you know, but um, so far the story work, you know, going through the four step process, which we started with you in the first base, yeah, um, you know, has created some sort of resolution. Have you had a situation where the parents were just so like, no, I need to be there. I need to be pacing up down the, down the sidelines. They need to listen to me because I played, you know, college basketball and I know better than they do. Have you had to have any of those conversations like, all right, listen, Buck, like, come on over here. We got to we gotta have a conversation. It's not about you. You know, take yourself out of it. Um, and if so, what, what was their reaction? <laughs> so... The college basketball players, the college baseball players, they are the best parents. Like, you, you look at former athletes, they get it. It's the parents that that haven't competed or um, the peak of their life was at 17, 18, and now they're, all the athletic hopes and dreams are, are living through their kids that, that are the ones pacing up and down the sideline. They're the ones. And so... Um, I haven't had those conversations because the door hasn't been open to those parents. And so, um, meaning like they haven't sought me out as, as their coach. And so me sitting at a game, you know, watching someone else compete and seeing all this other stuff, it's not my place to go over there and say, Hey, like you need to (laughs) change the way you're. Is Is there some kind of a vetting process that you use for, people that want to work with you like if you know serena williams dad comes up and he's like you know my daughter's on this strict training regiment i need her to get this way because this is about me blah 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 like is is there is there something where you'd be like you know what i appreciate your interest but you know this is not the best scenario for us to work together um that has not happened and i'm very willing to have that conversation so so um there's i've been Fired from free tennis lessons, and I've, I've fired clients in the past. Um, um, but as far as that that intro vetting process, there's there's been some sort of connection with with all my previous clients. They they knew what they were getting from me, or it was a referral. Or um, I, I've had a lot of um, I'm really proud of this siblings. So like an older sibling, a middle sibling, a younger sibling. Like so so families have have been with me um, for a while. So that's, um, and that's as a tennis coach. So, um, and as I was leveling up with the the mindset work, um, all of the previous clients were getting pieces of it. Previous students were getting pieces of that as well. When you started doing the work, was there that story that you told yourself about your experience playing high school sports that you needed to work through on a really deep level to get you to the next level? So, uh, how, how far along are you in, in, in lifted? I went through two classes so far. So, so, um, so, in the performance mindset series, um, the Billy story is part of it. So, so having having an athlete write down what that 
that shit talking inner evil part of ourselves is saying. Yeah. You know, so it's the, the initial questions, where, where does this self-talk come up? Where does, and, um, a huge part of my Billy story was, um, like my parents were incredible, like athlete parents. Um, so, so my dad played college tennis. My granddad was incredibly hard on my dad. And so my dad was a 180 from that. Um, and so, but when I was 15, my dad said, prove to me that you want it and we'll, we'll give you these, these lessons. We'll send you to these groups. And so my proving to him that, that I wanted it was beating him out the door on the four mile run every day, which made me a worse athlete. Um, when I did, like, so there was one day I came, I was in the kitchen and he's like, I didn't make it today. And I was like, no, I'm back from the run. And the next day he got me in groups. I was like six months, eight months of, of doing this. And so when I got into groups, the coaches had me with the younger kids. So I'm 15, 16, 17 practicing with these 13 and 14 year olds. And so I had this huge, like, I got to prove it and not good enough and coaches have me with with these younger kids uh, was a huge part of my story and as i was you know going through one of the reads um this whole other like paragraph popped into my head so working through this like not good enough shit talk which was uh, a lot stronger language than shit talk <laughs> um this, this other story popped in. It was, oh, these coaches respected my work ethic because it dawned on me I was playing with some of the kids that were the top 10 in the nation in 14 and under. Like, they respected my work ethic. They respected this. Um, then, like, the drive home from Abilene to, to Dallas, three-hour three hour drive. The drive home and my dad not saying a word in the car because he agreed that he wouldn't say anything about the match unless I said something. And so he's not mad. He's just driving. Like the agreement was like, I speak first. And like, I was so pissed about this match. He drove three hours without saying a word, like no radio, no nothing. He's driving. And so like, because like he was willing to do that. Like I felt all this love from this shit talking story. Yeah, it's deep. I can't imagine. Um, I think about, anytime that that happened it, it wasn't it felt like he would our dad was pissed at us if there was if, if it was silence treat, treatment it never felt yeah, like it was it was more of a uh like he wouldn't speak to us because we didn't perform yeah. well enough in the game that was usually when we didn't get have a conversation about the game itself because we didn't do good so that was linked to that every time that there was no conversation it was silence because we knew we underperformed in whatever sporting event we were at during that time so this was also pre-planned this was agreed upon beforehand yeah yeah so so um the the conversation uh, my dad was a a cafeteria manager restaurant manager so um I i remember I would work for him on every weekend I wasn't in a tournament. So, so um, I was in more tournaments than, than working, but there's one day um, working for him, like he and I having lunch. He's like, how, just, how do you want me to be after a match? And like, I, I didn't know, like <laughs> legit didn't know. And uh, um, it was at the end of the day, it's like, well, can I, can we just wait? Can you just wait until I ask you? He's like, okay. <laughs> it was as simple as that. Okay. 
And uh, yeah, that was a few months after the conversation. So like, it was, oh, 44 year old coach talking about, you know, how my dad didn't, didn't speak for three hours yeah. in, a, in a really good way. So it was powerful. So, and teaching other parents how to do the same. What uh, if you had a playbook to give to parents who their kids are involved in sports on a higher level? So you know maybe it's not a slam dunk, but there's there's a possibility that that if they continue on their trajectory, they they have an opportunity to maybe play beyond high school sports. If you were giving advice to parents, what should they do and what should they not do? How would you start that conversation off? Um, I'm developing the playbook. So I'm throwing it out here now. There will be a book. I am writing it. It, it is. It is going. It's going to happen. Um, this is the second place I've said that. So um, um, it starts off with stuff like you know as an educator. So so the difference in praising for uh, growth mindset traits versus fixed mindset traits. Like parents don't know that. Like I love you because you're like you're so talented. I love you comes across as I love you because you're so talented. Yeah. As opposed to like, man, I love how hard you're working. Yeah. I, I love you. Um, like look how, look how you dealt with that situation. Look how tough you were. Look things that, that the kids can control. So that praise separating the praise from fixed to growth is, um, I think the absolute biggest thing. And then putting in the context of, what do you want your kids to get out of sports? You know, like sports should make your kids a better human being. What, what traits do you want them to get out of it? And so once you get past that initial college scholarship phase, college scholarship talk, um, then it's like, Oh, um, I want them to be good sports. I want them to understand the value of hard work and seeing results from that. I want them to be tough and problem solving and, uh, I want them to be connected socially with the group and know how to um, deal and interact with other people. And so once those things get clear in the parent's mind, then the shift is to, to praise those traits. The other piece to this is knowing what the kid's working on with all their coaches. And so, and so a parent looks at a at competition and all they see is the result, what's happening. And the assumption is either everything that's happening is on purpose or they're not training enough for it to not be on purpose. And so, um, no, like, think about being an athlete and trying to do something, failing, and then hearing about how you failed. And it's like, ah, fucking no, that's what I was trying to do. Yep. <laughs> so, so starting a conversation with like, Hey, what this, this happened, what were you trying to do? You know, and that also empowers now that empowers the kid to speak up, speak for themselves. That deepens the relationship with, with you and your kid. You know, if there's that, that simple question, what were you trying to do? And now that changes, um, how the conversation goes. Uh, one of the topics is force multiplier or limiting factor. Like it's your choice, which one you are for your kid. Are you the limiting factor or are you what's behind them pushing them forward and how to be that? It's interesting. So no, parent, yeah, no parent wants to say, yeah, you know what? I'm the guy that like, yeah. you know what? I made it to state in high school. There's no way I want my kid to go to state. Like I've got to do better than my kid. Like, no, it's, it's split. 
And so how do you, how do you do that? I, uh, what you just said about the, um, you know, when, when there's something that goes wrong, when I work with individuals now, it's, it's when, when there's a situation, there's a problem that happens. What I try to do is get, um, individuals to get educators to separate. It's not you versus the kid. It's not you versus the, um, the, the other individual in this situation. What you, you have to start switching your mindset to is you want to be on the same side looking at the problem. So whatever that problem is, so if it's, you know, a lack of the, the performance wasn't the way it could have been, it could have been a temper tantrum on, it's not like I'm shaming you based on this, like come over here next to me, let's look at this situation that happened, this event happened, what can we do together so this doesn't happen again in the future. So then it becomes a teamwork situation against a situation or a problem to not occur again rather than, oh, man, my dad doesn't love me. My mom doesn't love me. I fucked up in this situation. That was one thing I thought. The second thing with with praise, as I work with educators, praise is something that comes up frequently. And um, you were talking just at, like the difference between, you know, the, like growth and fixed um, you know, what's the, the motive? And I talk about the motivation behind praise. I see teachers all the time. Um, they use praise and I ask them what their motivation is and they want the kids to feel good or to like them, you know, is what it comes out or feel good about themselves. Oh, you know, Clint, great job. Anthony, way to go. That was tremendous. Awesome. So good. Blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, it becomes to a point where it's almost like white noise when you're over praising your kids. So think about what the motivation is behind the praise. And if the motivation is just to get them to comply, then it's not doing its job. So I, I often push back and I'll say, instead of using praise all the time, take out a couple instances. And instead of saying, Oh, Clint, that was so great. You know, I love the way that you, you know, you volleyed on that serve and you, you got the point or, you know, whatever after the deuce, you blah, blah, blah. I would tell people, like, ask a couple questions about it. What was your favorite part about that volley? When did you make the decision to, you know, uh, go down the right side or whatever it was? Like, insert whatever term here, but push it back on a question. So now the learning continues. It makes them become really reflective about the experience, not just getting that validation of way to go. Good job. Let's go for a scoop of ice cream right now. Well, there's another, there's another layer to that also. The other layer is, like, you're seeing the outcome. What if they weren't trying to do the thing you're praising them for? Right. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah. so then the praise becomes even like it was an accident that I played that well of a point. Yeah. So. And I'll never uh, do that again. So yeah. then it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, crap. yeah. So when you mentioned like going through and you had to, um, you know, your. Um, the work that you did with your, yourself after you went back and you told your stories about high school tennis um, and beyond. Do you rem did you have to give yourself a power phrase as you went through this? Did you go through that process? Um, I already I already had some strong ones in place. So so years ago, one of the certifications I went through um, for tennis was like, "What's your philosophy?" And I'm like. Uh, teach players how to win like what do you mean philosophy and um, um, lady was incredible she's like no um, how do you act in tough situations if you have a philosophy written out will those whatever they are will it show up in the tough situations will your students recognize like your philosophy if you told them after the fact like oh and so I've been working on it for years um, and it's 
do good, move forward, be free to create the biggest impact possible. And so all of those, all of those phrases um, gained more depth as I was working through that. So doing good, like there's three pages about what doing good is. That, uh, that also makes me think about my own high school experience. I had after that year of, you know, that, that mind fuck that was going on in my head. I had a coach that worked with me and basically we started small and we would, he had me go, I would field a ground ball a foot from first base and he would just have me toss the ball to first. Like it was literally this far away. Yeah. And we would just work our way back and he's like, were you, were you successful doing that? And I was like, yeah, coach, I was. And then we take a step away and he did it again. Were you successful in doing that? Yes, I was. All right. I'm going to, we're going to move away again visualize yourself being successful so he worked to where i was you know feeling a ball in the third base line and throwing a seed to first base but it took two or three practices and i felt like a total schmo like everybody's watching me and i'm like two feet away from first base like throwing like that it's like but it worked and then my whole my senior year and beyond i didn't i didn't make another fielding error but it, it needed he recognized that i needed to do that work and rewrite that story in my head um and it wasn't i don't he didn't he did it because he felt that it was going to be the muscle memory and the positive reinforcement that was happening, these incremental things of success that I would find. Um, and I remember back, and he, that totally changed the trajectory of, of my athletic career, was just that coach taking the time to do that with me. So I love what you're doing. I think it's awesome that you're, you're recognizing the importance of how the mind plays into the athletic ability. Uh, I appreciate that. And then the other piece is, like, I believe in sports, coaches, parents, athletes, we all like that recognition has been there for years. It's the, it's the, okay, so what do I do about it? Like what, what's the outcome? What's tangible? And, uh, you know, goals, goals connected to an identity is a, is a huge piece. That identity piece is also connected to mantras or power phrases. With with the work that you've done, seeing seeing kids that have gone through challenging situations where they're in that that loop of not finding success, and I'm sure that's a lot of the the people that are working with you are going through this challenging spot. Have you witnessed kids that on the other side of it, like the you know Michael Jordan in '96? It could be like Oral Hershiser in the late '80s on the hill for the Dodgers, where they were in the zone. Um, if that thing actually exists where it doesn't like every ball that a, a batter's hitting looks like a beach ball every single you know time somebody throws up a shot it's going in have you seen that where a kid is so dialed in that they are just in that zone so to speak so the zone is think of it like well flow state um but it can even be simpler. It's, it's being in that stressful situation, but being in the parasympathetic nervous system. And so, and so being able to perform while you're, you're calm. And so, yes, I've seen, I've seen athletes take control of their breathing because breathing's a huge part of, of all of this, take control of their breathing and go from like bound up to like, Oh, and you just see that little wiggle and it's like, ah, they're, they're there, they're dialed in, you know, or different, different athletes will have that, a different walk about them when they're down regulated, but they're still like in it mentally. Is that making sense? Definitely. And I, I think about like, especially when it comes to baseball, um, 
the the difference that I've had from like when I was in that flow state, I could picture the exact moment where I was up at bat and I'm 12 for 12. I'm in the paper. There is not a chance anyone could strike me out. I'm either getting walked or I'm hitting the ball. No other way around it. And I was calm as can be. Nothing phased me. And then follow that up by the ne- the the next year, literally just the next year. So I was 15 in All-Stars. And then the following year when I was 16, I was 0 for 14. I couldn't hit the ball. I didn't even play, right? I sat on the bench for a good portion of the season. And that happens in so many aspects of my life where like, you know, I'll go in and it's just easy. And then all of a sudden that same thing is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's like, I can't even do it. It's like, I've never played the sport before. And the only thing that changes is my mental state in that moment, like how I'm thinking of that moment. Cause in that moment when I was doing it and in that flow state, I wasn't thinking I was calm. I was confident. I was feeling great. Follow that up by feeling like there was no shot in hell that I could even do anything with it. So one of the key factors for being in the zone, the flow state is, is being present. And so being in the moment. And so, um, 12 for 12 freaking I'm awesome. I'm a badass. That was an amazing season. Um, looking forward to next year. You're, you're thinking about last year. You don't perform once, twice, three times. Now, last year was a fluke. I wasn't awesome. And so you, you can't change what's happening. You can't change the past. So then your beliefs about yourself start changing. Your beliefs match what you think's happening right now. And then now, oh crap, here it comes again. This is just like when I was 16 and, and went from all-star to not playing. Like that same routine's happening again. And so by writing it out, recognizing that, that boundness and being able to breathe through it and relax, your brain starts to opening up. You have all, all the, the mental um, capabilities there and then problems start getting solved. You know, if, you're, if you've created your values and how you want to be and how you want to show up in that moment that like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, and then you have steps to go forward. So we have a lot of good ideas around how do we help young men and women that are dealing with difficult situations with their mindset. Um, any advice for someone who's dealing with a third nipple? Does your, does your work, does your yeah. work help that? I'm asking for a friend. It's, uh... I told you I would be able to wrap it back around at some point by the end of it. That's, that's what I did. Uh, so I'll take, I'll take your silence then as a, as a, we don't have anything yet, but just stay tuned. I'm at a loss. It's rare that I'm at a loss. Uh, so Clint, let us, let the building that audience know where we can find you. I am, I am um, just so like intrigued by this it's something that i feel like every single athlete needs in their life so if you are a parent of someone who's playing sports at a competitive level you need to reach out to clint to find out more about what he's doing to connect with him um and you do these these things it could be via zoom correct via zoom um i also do a a monthly the first thursday um a parent info series where i mean the titles are um the car ride home you know, 10 years, 10 years later, um, it's, it's topics that, um, a lot of private coaches, sport coaches avoid because it could potentially create conflict. 
and I'm, you know, I'm throwing it out there. And so, um, the first Thursday, um, we talk about growth and fixed mindset. We talk about breathing. Um, so, um, you can find me at, on Instagram, athlete underscore first one ST. Um, there is, that's where I post everything about the first Thursday. And that's the best way to, to contact me about the mindset stuff. And I mean, I'm, I'm thinking you'll have a, a client in the future, 16 year old from central Jersey, Denny Moralda jr. He's a starting quarterback at the high school and he'll be starting small forward on the basketball team. Um, he, with his mindset, when things are going well, he can't, it's, he's on, on top of the world, but he's like us. He has that Moralda gene <laughs> where he can get into his head a little bit and have that negative self-talk. So you might have it's, a client. It's not a gene. With him. Yeah. It, it's, it, everybody has it, right? It's just, we all have it. So no, it's, it's, we, we learn more from our, from our parents than, you know, eye color, hair color. And so, uh, at, at some point he's heard you talk about your experiences. Um, at some point there's a, there's a connection there and, um, a, a gene, a gene implies that there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change your genetics. You can't change your DNA. Um, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned habit. And so, um, if it's learned, we can unlearn it. We can change it. We can replace it with something better. And so just removing that word G and turn it into learned habit, learned behavior is a step in, in undoing um, that. So I, I've just removed it from my vocabulary. You <laughs> yeah. want to commit to that too? We'll commit to removing it from our... Not a gene. It's not a gene. Unlearn that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a behavior. It's a habit. It's... Yeah. <laughs> Um, and jeans, uh, jeans are not something your your significant other from uh, your trip to Aruba is going to ask you to wear. They're no, not going to ask you to wear jeans at all facts. on your trip. Well, they might be cut off. <laughs> might, they might be, be cut off. short, short. Where the, the pockets are going to be showing because they're so high up. We're going to have crazy yeah, dukes on. Your quad game is strong recently. Uh, damn, why do you think I've been working them out so damn hard? Front squats for days. Um, you're you're under underselling yourself at 2,000, man. You, you need to... 2500 i know see i'm gonna i'm gonna start learning this but the problem is once that number gets out there now you know i'm gonna have people kicking down my door and i'm screwed it's out there in the open we're been recording so um but coach clint dude i wish i had you growing i'm just thinking back to like my 12 13 14 year old self how much i could have benefited from this and i really appreciate this conversation because it just opens up my eyes to when i eventually have kids and then just looking at dennis's son right now who i feel like i'm a mentor to as well and you know all these things i could use and apply right away and it's just so beneficial for people to know this stuff and know that it's out there and someone can help them you know with this and learn it as they go through that process yeah, Clint, no. truly appreciate it, my man. Um, whatever we can do to help you get this message out there, we'd be happy to. We'll put all this information in the show notes. Um, when we post this, we'll have um, a, a couple posts on Instagram as well, uh, drawing people to your um, to your information, to your Instagram, to your website. Again, I truly believe that athletes need this in their life. Parents of athletes need this in their life. It's really important work. Uh, truly appreciate you being on here. Um, putting up with our nonsense for for a period of time it's like what we do but uh it's uh it was it was definitely a good time we'll definitely have to have you back um in the future um once you get this book out there and if you need a forward or you know a recommendation or something we'd be happy to to contribute if we could in any way it's it sounds it's an amazing project oh hell yeah i will i will keep you uh, 
Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> so find us on Building Men on Instagram, building.men. Um, we're on all the social media spots, uh, buildingmencoach at gmail.com. Go a step further than you thought you can go. Anthony, any final words? Nope. I uh, said everything. Uh, you said we're everything. Good. We're good. Take care, everyone. See you next time on Building Men.